This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Thanks for tuning in to the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. I'm Helena, and in this episode, I'll be talking to one of the online sewing community's most popular bloggers, Lauren Taylor of Ladybird.com. If you read Lauren's blog, you know that she is a prolific and talented sewer, everything from intricate bras and coats to gorgeous dresses and jeans. You might even have taken part in one of her online outfit-alongs, where she guides readers through not only sewing a particular garment, but also knitting a garment to match. Lauren sews with lightning speed and has sewed many indie designer patterns. She teaches sewing workshops in several different cities and is the education coordinator at Craft South in Nashville, where she lives. In this episode, Lauren talks about how she's able to fund her sewing hobby and also make a supplemental income doing what she loves. I'll ask her if she actually has any sewing anxieties since she seems so fearless in the types of projects she tackles. But to start with, I asked Lauren about when she started sewing and how she came to fall in love with it. Here's our conversation. My mom has been sewing for my entire life. She sewed when she was a little kid, so I've always grown up with having um, handmade things, a sewing machine always running. And when I was probably about, I don't know, five or six, I started getting interested in wanting to, you know, play with those same things that my mom had. So I had my, used to steal from her sewing box or actually from her sewing table, which is now my sewing table. Oh, cool. Um, I would go in and I would steal things like little scraps of fabric or needle and thread. And she, I guess she got tired of stepping on pins in the, in the carpet. So she eventually gave me my own little sewing box and I would sit there and make clothes for my Barbies. Um, I sewed everything by hand. I didn't start using machine until I was probably 12 or 13, maybe 14. Um, and even then, and it was really very little. I um, was really small when I was in high school and junior high, but I listened to a lot of like punk bands and hardcore bands. And when you want to get the T-shirt, they come in adult men's sizes. And I think I wear like a child small or something crazy like that. So that's why I started sewing was I wanted to make these little T-shirts fit me as opposed to just swimming in them. Um, after I learned that you could take in a t-shirt, then I started making my jeans skinny. That was a revelation for me because this was the end of the nineties when everyone was wearing flares, you can buy skinny jeans. Um, so that was, it was mostly just like alterations for a few years. It wasn't until I was about 20 that I got a sewing machine and actually like a sewing machine of my own and actually decided that I was going to learn how to use And I went and bought this awful simplicity pattern and this awful fabric from Walmart of all places (laughs) made this terrible dress and wore it proudly. And um, since then, it's just it's just gone downhill from there. I would just get the pattern and kind of like sludge my way through it. And the first the first ones that I made were were terrible. But you couldn't have told me that. I mean, I was so proud of myself. Yeah. Yeah. That I made a little garment and, you know, I this would have been what? So when I was 20, so like 11 years ago, there wasn't really much in like the online world of sewing. So anything that I had to learn outside of just reading the pattern or calling my mom came from a Vogue sewing book. Oh, great. Which one was yeah. that? Was it helpful? Vogue sewing. That's what it's called. Oh, 
<laughs> complicated name of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I found it at a thrift store, and I remember agonizing whether or not I should buy it because it was seven dollars. And I was like, Ooh, "This yeah. is a lot of money for, for a, a book. thrift for a thrift store book for sure." Yeah, but it looks like a Bible. I mean, it's huge. I still have it, and it's very useful. I think my copy came out in the '80s, but it's one that's been around since probably the '30s or '40s, and they just change it up every few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime I came across something in a pattern that I didn't understand, like, like I had my Vogue book because I learned pretty quickly that calling my mom was not very useful. My mom knows how to sew, but she's a lot self-taught like I am. Mm-hmm. And so she couldn't really answer a lot of my questions. I actually teach her a lot of things now, which oh, is kind of cool. Funny. Yeah, that's kind of cool. circle. Yeah. <laughs> so and then when did you start your blog? You've been doing that for a while. Yeah, I started my blog in... I'm not entirely sure. It was either 2007 or 2009. I'm sure if I looked at the blog, I could figure it out. Um, I was very actively involved in crafter.org for a few years, which was a, um, it's still around, but it's not really quite the same. It was just like, like a huge, like library of forums mm-hmm. dedicated to different types of crafts. So they had like a sewing forum and then they had subcategories of like reconstructed sewing and made new from patterns and like things for kids sewing on historical sewing and all this stuff. So I was really active in the reconstructive and then the um, just like normal standard sewing. But right around the time that I started my blog, I noticed that everyone was moving off of Crafter and it started to get to the point where you would open up a, open up a um, bulletin and it would say, you know, here's the dress I made for more info, go to my blog. There'd be very, there wouldn't oh. be website. They're just sending people to their blogs and the traffic started going down really bad. Like there wasn't a lot of user interaction. And so eventually I just kind of moved my way over to the blog. And around that same time, I had a very small clothing line that I was producing here locally in Nashville, which was called like, that. yeah, which was the, I mean, it wasn't, I was sewing everything out of my house. It's not like I ever went into production. I didn't even have wholesale accounts. It was just kind of, a way for me to sew things that I wouldn't necessarily wear and then like have an excuse for it. Cause I'd sell it. And then yeah, I'd buy that's more fun. Yep. Yeah. So I did that for a few years and the name of the line was Ladybird, which is where the name of the blog came from. And so originally the blog was supposed to be something that I could direct people to mm-hmm. from my tags or like when I met them, Oh, we'll go look at my blog and see the things that I have. And mm-hmm. I think a few, maybe a year or two into that was when I discovered Gertie's blog. And then that's when my blog shifted and took a different direction. Um, and it was sometime in like, I don't know, maybe 2010 or 2011 that I just stopped the clothing line, decided it wasn't worth my time anymore. And I've just been selfishly sewing ever since then. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you like to sew for other people. Like, is that, it's a hotly contested topic and I think it's funny that they have the selfish sewing week um, yeah and I'm just like every week is selfish sewing week for me like what is the yeah. what's the question here but um how do you feel about sewing for other people I mean if other people want to do it more power to them I've done it for a very long time I will be the first to say that if you need to make quick cash it is so easy to make money off alterations like oh, uh-huh. 20 bucks in 10 minutes to mm-hmm. him a pair of pants or whatever mm-hmm. um so I do that. I don't necessarily need to do that anymore with where I am in my life. But there have been times where, you know, I had a bad month or I was in between jobs or I wanted to take a trip um, and I didn't have any spending money or something where I would just take in alterations and maybe make an extra 50 or 60 bucks. Um, 
there was a there was a time probably a little bit pre-blog where I was actively advertising on Craigslist for my sewing and I did a bunch of really really weird stuff for people like I made (laughs) shower curtains I did a lot of um wall hangings and stuff for like big like CMA fest and like the country music awards and all that stuff that happens here in Nashville. Um, the weirdest one that I ever did was I completely, I did a lot of home decor sewing, which is stupid. It's not what I, not what I like to do. I made curtains for Emerson Hart's house. (laughs) Cool. His wife, his wife was afraid to tell me who he was until like probably the fifth or sixth time that I, cause I would go to his house, lives in this amazing house in this Mm -hmm. really awesome neighborhood in Nashville. And she kept referring to her husband, the musician. And finally I was like, okay, your husband what what does he do is he in like some stupid band that plays on lower broadway and she was like no have you ever heard of the band tonic (laughs) oh my god my high school just happened all over again yeah that's cool and then they took pictures of it for southern living that's why they wanted the new um the new curtains was because southern living like i guess went and took a tour of their house and published it in a magazine so Here's my sewing in Southern Living magazine somewhere. Uh-huh. I never actually saw the article because I don't read Southern Living, but um, that was fun. That's amazing. That is a cool yeah. opportunity. The only time I really do sewing for other people anymore is it has to be someone that I really like, and they have to give me a project that I'm. They either are asking. I mean, I either owe them a huge favor or it's something that I really want to work on. So. Yeah. For example, a couple of years ago, I was in a car accident. Um, not my fault at all. The guy ran a stop sign and T-boned me, basically, and admitted fault at the accident and then tried to sue me through his insurance company to pay for his damages. And as much as you would think that that is pretty cut and dry based on the damage, mm-hmm. um, I fought that for over a year until I finally oh had to take him to small claims court and sue him to get my money for this thing where he had just you know, ran, blasted through a stop sign while I was driving on a road that didn't have a stop sign. And um, in order to take him to court, I have a friend who's an attorney and I asked him if he would be willing to barter with me. And so I made him a beautiful princess peach dress for Halloween. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and I won my case. Oh, nice. So that yep. worked out for everyone. Yeah. Well, except for the guy who was suing me, but yeah. that's what he gets for lying. Right. Yep. Totally. Well, that's cool. That's cool that it's, um, that you've used it to a good end. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really worked for you. I I don't like sewing for other people, but yeah, that's a good way to just kind of set some ground rules. Be like, you know, is this project interesting to me or do I love you enough to deal with it? Kind of a, kind of a thing. Yeah. And I will say too, like when I was working for Elizabeth Suzanne, I was a seamstress there. So I was sewing for other people. That's true. Yeah. Doing it. That's different, though. I didn't have to cut anything, and I didn't have to fit anything. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) You literally just sit there at the machine and just blast things through all day. That's That's a little different, and that never bothered me. And it actually made me, like, I can put in a bias facing, like, nobody's business now because I've probably done, like, you know, a thousand of them, if not more. Mm -hmm. I should have kept track of all the stuff I made. I'm really mad at myself (laughs) Not keeping a number tally because I'm sure there were a lot of garments that I made in those. It's been like two years that I worked for her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure to add it up. Oh, I'm sure. For a while, I was the only person making stuff. 
Oh, now wow. she's got a whole fleet of seamstresses and cutters. and Oh, good for her. That's awesome. Yeah, she's, she's doing pretty awesome. Well, that segues well over to um, one of the topics I want to discuss is, and I think a lot of seamstresses are interested in this, they love sewing and their dream would be to somehow not do a day job and just kind of figure out how to make a living around sewing. I mean, it's hard to imagine somebody's going to pay you for just sewing clothes for yourself all day. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no one does that. <laughs> but um, but there's just a lot of interest in that. And I know that you've tried some different things. And it sounds like you're pretty successful at it. Like right now you are working for who are you working for? Uh, Anna Marie Horner, right? Yeah. And what's the what's the shop called? Craft South. Craft South. Okay. And, um, and are you doing that full time now? I'm not full time. That is one thing. I don't talk about it much on my blog because it doesn't really relate. I want my blog to be a sewing blog. I don't really want to talk about my personal life too much on it because I don't care what other people do it. So that's why I keep mine to that. I mean, if you want to ask me about my personal life, I'll answer you, but it's just not something I write about on my blog. Um, I do work as a personal assistant as well. Uh-huh. I don't primarily sew, although the PA job that I do, I started that about two years ago, two and a half now. Um, it's not for a celebrity. That's the first question everybody asks me. Mm-hmm. It's a woman who is, um, I think she's she's 37. She's extremely successful in what she does for her business, and I'm basically like her wife that she pays. Mm-hmm. So I come in, and I make her breakfast, and I do her grocery shop and I clean for I work three days a week and it's very small amount of hours like it's significantly less than full-time mm-hmm. um and that's the where the bulk of my income comes from definitely um it's a really great job I, I got into that I got a reference from a friend who I'd met through blogs actually who okay. knew this girl who was moving to Nashville and was like she doesn't have an assistant she she's desperately looking for one and I want to give her a personal recommendation I was right in between jobs at the time I was actually doing alterations to pay the rent that week. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the job with Craft South, um, Anna actually reached out to me for that. I was working for Elizabeth, and that was um, probably about nine hours a week, two days a week, um, just coming in and, and sewing and then going home, basically. And, and Anna and I had talked at the beginning of the year about me coming in and teaching at Craft South. And so I would come in maybe – once or twice a week and teach a garment basics class for a couple hours. And um, so if after a few months of that, she took me out to lunch and she was like, I want you to be our education coordinator. I want you to handle all the classes and maybe not necessarily teach all of them, but I'm the one who makes sure that the samples get made and photographs them and lists them on the website and handles all the class registration. And I coordinate with the teachers to make sure that we have everything for the class. And I do teach a lot of classes, mm-hmm. um, but what I make teaching is not part of what Craft South pays me to be an education coordinator. They're completely separate, which oh, is also yeah. really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and I also, so that's kind of combined with me just sitting at the shop and cutting fabric too. So at any given day, if you come in on the, I work there two days a week. So if you come in, I might be staying behind the counter cutting fabric, or I might be like sewing a sample for the class or running around trying to find supplies for our next class. But um, 
it's a it's definitely more with in line with what I wanted to do with my career. Like I loved working for Elizabeth and it was a great job, but I don't want to be in the fashion industry. Yeah. I want to be in the education industry. Mm-hmm. So teaching fits more in line with what I wanted to do. And then in addition to that, which is not related to, to the thing with Craft South, I also travel around and teach classes. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. Um, I just saw your announcement. So this is kind of good timing. So yeah. what's going on with that? So I do. So a few classes a year. Um, I always go to Brooklyn and teach at Workroom Social. We try to do that in the spring and the fall. Um, just because I love New York, it gives me an excuse to go to the Garment District. I get to see Jennifer, who runs Workroom Social. Love her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I love New York. I love talking about pants. I love making pants. I always love the students that I have. So that's a really good excuse for me to go to New York. Um, I started doing regular workshops with a gathering of stitches in Portland, Maine, Mm -hmm. which is a little different where we just do, basically you pick your project and bring it in and we work through it. Um, So if you don't want to, I like that because if you don't want to make whatever the class is set around, you don't have to because the class isn't set around anything. There's always that one person who's like, well, I want to take a class from you, but I don't like that pattern. Yeah. Or I don't want to make that. Mm -hmm. So this kind of eliminates that. Um, I'm doing another one of those open workshops in New Hampshire this year Mm. in October, which I'm really excited about. It's a new shop that just opened. They sell Bernina sewing machines and we're going to do an open workshop. Um, I've never been to New Hampshire, but I heard it's really beautiful. Very excited about that. Cool. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of people asking me if I'll come to their city and I'm open to it, but I honestly, because this isn't my full-time income and this isn't how I, you know, I have, ways that I'm, this is supplemental income for me. I don't have time to sit and like research what shops are in what areas. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, if you want me to come to like, you know, Portland, Oregon, get in contact with a shop and have them email me. Mm -hmm. And all of the workshops that I've done, I've been contacted for them. Oh, okay. So that's a question that I get a lot is, well, when are you going to come here? I'm like, well, I I don't know what's over there. So (laughs) to help me out here. Right. So everyone that's listening to the podcast, (laughs) Please tell your local shop to invite Lauren for um for a class, the teacher class. Yeah, there's also that whole thing like I don't want to reach out to someone and say, well, you know, you want me to come up there. Yeah, it just seems shy. <laughs> well, uh, it would be great if uh, people kind of let their local shops know. I mean, it is those local shops are so important. It's so oh. nice, and I am actually getting to know my local shop right now. I have two. I um, I'm a Bernina ambassador now, and so I have to go kind of far to go to the Bernina um, local Bernina dealership. But um, there's also a local place that I have to to get to know those people because that's where the people hang out, and yeah. sellers are always buying, you know, more feet, more machines. I don't want to tell you how many I have behind me. Seven. <laughs> Wait, feet or machines? Machines. How did you get seven machines? I know, I know. I've got, well, one thing is my mom is um, a seamstress also, and she keeps buying me machines. She wants me to have all the same machines that she has because she thinks they're really great. And so yeah. she's bought me a couple of vintage ones, and one um, specific for my first serger is this vintage uh, baby lock. And I'm sure it is an awesome machine, but holy crap, I cannot thread it. And I have been in tears and I am an intelligent woman. Like I feel like I can figure things out, but man, 
that thing has had me in tears more times. So I just said, I don't really care what it costs. I'm just going to go buy a common machine that there will be YouTube videos and there will be all kinds of help online. And that's what I did. I bought like the most common brother. brother. Yep. Everyone has it. There are the most wonderful videos online, though. I can't believe people will take the yeah, time yeah. to to make those videos. And they have just, yeah, saved my life. I, I love it. So, But now I live right close to my mom, and she can thread my machine. Like, she can come over and thread my baby lock. So that's still in production. That's so I don't have to change my thread all the time I have. <laughs> See, I had a machine. I had a serger that you – it was a Singer Quantum Lock something that I think my mom bought in Joanne's like a decade ago terrible machine oh. I don't know what they're like now but that thing was awful I never actually figured out how to thread it and after about two months and this was oh god when was, this was probably 10 yeah probably about 10 years ago um I just gave up and bought a baby lock that threads itself nice <laughs> so I can thread a serger um when I used to teach sewing lessons out of my house that was a lot of what people wanted with was learning how to use the serger that they had just bought. Oh, it was always wow. the, the Brother 1034D, always. Um, but mine, it's literally just has two little ports, and you stick the threads in them, and you press the lever, and it just shoots them through with, like, a burst of air. Oh it's amazing. That's and it auto-tension auto is the other thing that it does. Whoa. So you that, don't have to tension. So it just adjusted, like, um, it yep. knows what kind of, uh, if it's a heavy or light kind of a fabric? Yep. Well, I don't want to have to make my machine count go up to eight. So don't tell me anymore. <laughs> that sounds I mean, funny. I have five machines, so I'm not here to judge you. I thought when you said <laughs> seven, I thought you meant Bernina gave you seven. I was like, oh, my God, I want to be in it. <laughs> no, no, no. No, they sweetly gave me one. I think we actually have the same machine. And I'm getting to know it right now, the 350. Yes, that's what I have. Yeah, and it is is beautiful. I still need to take some classes and um, figure out all that it does. But I started making a stitch book because I just want to try all the cool stitches out and the quality, you know, the the evenness of the stitches. And it's just beautiful. So I am looking forward to making jeans with some really prominent top stitching because it just makes such beautiful stitches. And yeah, it's great. The buttonholes are really awesome on that machine, too. I need it to figure sense. that out. I don't know how to do it. It's not a one uh, step, right? It is a one step. One thing to keep in mind, the bobbin, there's like a little arm that sticks off the bobbin uh -huh. and there's a hole in the arm that you thread. Like after you thread the bobbin like normal, you it's an extra pass that you pull the thread through oh. just for the buttonholes. And it gives you this extra tension that makes the bottom really gorgeous, too. Oh, OK. That's good yeah. to know. I, I'm And I'm going to take the class, but I'm glad you reminded me because she showed me that really quickly when I went to pick up the machine and I was... <laughs> just completely overwhelmed by all I mean my machine that I work on now is 40 years old so pretty much everything that was on that machine I was like wow it's like the future <laughs> I didn't know what was going on there's things flashing at me like that. yeah the guy that told me my machine it was he loves Bernina and he loves to talk about Bernina and every time he talks about it he always talks about how like you know, this is why they're so great. They're so intuitive. They're they're planned for the sewer and all this stuff. And it's just it's just awesome to watch him like obsess over these machines. That's he showed me so many things that I didn't even realize were part of the machine. I mean, now at Craft South, I sell Janome machines actually. Oh. Um, 
And I also have a Foff, too, in addition to the Bernina that I love and use, too. And so um, one thing that I think is kind of something, the only thing I don't like about the sewing community is people get really obsessive about one brand Mm -hmm. that like one's better than the other, but I feel like there's room for all of them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like what I use the Bernina for is great, but there's also merits to having a Foff or having a Janome or getting a Kenmore, even using like a brother, like for whatever your needs are. I don't think, I think it's really sad when I see people just get like fixated on one brand and that's all they want to stick with because I think they all have their merits. Mm-hmm. I think that's important, especially when it comes to budget. Oh, I know. That kind yeah. Of yeah. There's yeah, I, wild price difference. <laughs> yes, there is. Well, that was fun. Fun talk about that um oh some other ways that you I don't know it not necessarily make a living out of sewing but um maybe like fund your sewing habit is did you have an agreement with paper cut uh patterns because you I did I was I was a freelance um employee of hers cool. I guess employees the right word but I freelanced for her um and worked on her blog Mm-hmm. And that was also when I was in between jobs. So that was the, that would, or no, that wasn't when I was in between jobs. That's when I was working for that dressmaker. Um, it was a good supplemental income for me to be able to like fund my sewing habit. And yeah. because I was self-employed, I was able to write off all that stuff too. Oh. Um, although she paid for my materials, but like, so my internet bill, my cell phone bill, you know, things that related to the blog, my camera equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I'm still self-employed, I still get to write all that stuff off. It's great. That is great. <laughs> That's the best part about being a self-employed blogger seamstress is like literally all of my hobbies are right off. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did work for Katie. Um, and it just got to the point where, I stopped because I didn't have time for it and she wanted to take over her blog. And so it was a amicable split. We were both ready to stop at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still friends. I still love paper cut patterns. She still sends me patterns whenever new ones come in that she's lucky. Yeah. Um, And we sell paper cut patterns at the, at craft South. It's like one of you locations in the U S that sells them. Um, and so I am hawking those all day because people have never seen them. They're like, what is this? I'm like, I can tell you all about the company. I know Katie personally. Yeah, that's, that's a cool uh, selling technique there. Like you've made yeah. every single pattern. They're like, how do you know so much about this company? I'm like, well, let me tell you <laughs> how I know so much. I swear I'm not a creeper. <laughs> like this is a friend of mine. So, um, yeah, I did work for paper cut for a while. It is funny because. I didn't catch on to that for a while, and I don't know if everyone knows that because uh, the style of the patterns match your style pretty closely. It's not like all of a sudden you were wearing some clothes that you we couldn't picture you, picture you in. Um, they really suited you and seemed to like, did you think? I mean, I just, I love the stuff she makes. I feel like she designs for me. I know. Um, I do want to, I do want to make it clear though, the stuff that I posted on my blog was not affiliated with me working for her. The Um, only stuff I did for her was on her blog, on the paper cut blog. Oh, I didn't realize that. So anything that came on my blog, that was just me going, oh, I'm going to make this. This is fun. So yeah, 
that none of that was was sponsored or affiliated or any of that. I mean, she did send me the patterns for free, but it there was no stipulation that I had to review them or that I needed to give her a good review or any of that. It was it was more of like you know if I mailed you something fun just because we're friends. Oh, cool. Okay, that makes sense. I it, maybe that's why I didn't catch on. I think maybe you mentioned um one time in a blog or maybe I was reading the paper cut blog, I'm sure. And I yeah. kind of like put that together, but it, yeah, it wasn't, um, I didn't understand what the the connection was, but I'm like, man, like it's so perfect. How did that work out so well? Because even just uh, a little while ago, you, um, you posted a dress that you had made of theirs. Mm-hmm. You're still making their patterns. You're still. Yeah. I still love her stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They just seem to suit you really well. I love their patterns too. I've only bought two. It's one of those things that's like, um, a luxury that I don't treat myself to. And I probably maybe someday kind of, if I'm a really good girl, I can get one. I have two. I completely understand. Yeah. (laughs) I tend to do that with myself. Like if I get all my to-do lists done, then I can have this special thing. Um, oh, but you do have an agreement with Spiegel. Yes, I do have an agreement with Spiegel. They mailed me the machine and I write, um, posts or tutorials using the machine Mm -hmm. as like a review of the machine. And there is money involved with that. But what I, I mean, I'm not paid to, to give them glowing reviews. And I've definitely mentioned some things about the machine that I'm not happy with in the posts, but um, I do have an agreement with Spiegel. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. After a bit of a tangent, Lorna and I got talking about a subject that we both thought was important to discuss. We've noticed that sometimes bloggers can get requests from companies that assume we will advertise their products for free. That was a trap that I fell into in the beginning of, of my blog. And I think everybody does to some extent. It's it's really, really flattering to have a company reach out to you and say, oh, we love what you do. Can we send you some fabric? Mm-hmm. And you can write about it. And you're like, oh, my, my opinion is I'm like popular. This is so cool. I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing with pattern testing. Although well, I don't want to get into pattern testing <laughs> right now. But, I, but, but let's just talk about like bigger companies like Spiegel and stuff like that where they have budgets yeah market um, budgets yeah i will also be the first to say i worked in advertising for six and a half years i've seen what they what what budgets are for stuff like that for like a stupid little google adsense ad they pay so much money for them it is completely insane to me that someone would spend four or ten hours of their time you know planning a project making the project photographing the project writing about the the project dealing with the comments and they do it for free for exposure because yeah. I mean I don't know about you but exposure doesn't pay my rent right and so if I'm going to put that much time into something that I'm not getting paid for I mean that's fine but I want it to I'm not necessarily going to blog about it or like spend a lot of time taking pictures like that that would be a personal project and that's one thing but I'm not going to promote a company for free because I think that's a little messed up yeah and the assumption yeah yeah and I know that it's kind of it's it's hard, especially like with something that it's a hobby and we're all women and we're told that our hobbies not worth money. But when people get me on the phone, they're like, oh, you know, we want to we want to partner up with you and get you to talk about our whatever. I'm like, OK, so what's your budget? This mm-hmm. is what I charge for post. This is what this is. Um, and and to be fair, I mean, when it's companies like, I don't know, Byhand London or Papercut or like people that I'm like actually friends with. 
maybe the cost of things is a little different than it is with someone like Spiegel, who's got a bigger budget. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously that's up to the blogger's discretion. But I do think that it's kind of messed up that people are still doing things for free when these companies can certainly afford to pay you. Yes. I mean, I've had very, very big brands reach out to me that weren't even sewing brands. I'm talking about just they found my blog in like Google Analytics and they're like, oh, we, we want the AdWords or whatever. I don't, I don't know anything about SEO. I'm sorry. I'm not making any. <laughs> uh, but they'll, they'll reach out to me and say, oh, can we, um, can we get you to write about this? We'll send you some promo photos. And I'm like, are you going to send me a product? Well, no. Are you going to pay me? Well, no, unfortunately, we don't have the budget for that. And I'm talking like huge companies here. Yeah. I'll say, well, unfortunately, I don't have time. So, yeah. That's I, ha I had the same experience where they just, they sent me, oh, well, you know, would you like to write about this? We'll send you pictures and you can write about it. I'm like, well, you're not even going to send me the product. How can I write about it, first of all? And second of all, what are you going to pay me? And, oh, well, that's not in the budget. I was flabbergasted. I just didn't write back, which probably was rude, but I was, <laughs> I was just like, I mean, it was either that or write back and say, are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me? You, what, what, what is the exchange here that you think is going to happen? So yeah, uh, I showed restraint by not um, emailing back, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and then they just go down the list to mm -hmm. somebody the person who will say yes. Yeah. And that's part of why it bugs me. I mean, I don't make, a lot of income off my blog. It's certainly not paying all my bills. Right. I mean, I, I have other jobs. I do other things. Um, but I feel bad for the people who do make a living off their blog or who are trying to, because it's not helping when there's a pool of bloggers to choose from that will do anything for free just because it's, it's cool to, I mean, I get it. It's cool to have someone reach out to you and tell you that they like what you're doing and they want to send you stuff for free. Like that's an awesome feeling, mm -hmm. but you just have to think too, like, what is your time worth is like, do you really want to, and you have to think about how much time you're putting into this where you're basically just advertising for a company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just, I really encourage people to think more about that if they get those kinds of opportunities, because by agreeing to do things for free, you're kind of also agreeing that you don't think your time is worth anything. And I find that really sad. I think that's kind of just, I don't think that's the way it should be. This is such a great topic. I am so glad we got into this. This was not on my list, but um, yeah, I also but... feel so passionately about this. So passionately. About <laughs> this. I could talk about this for hours. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me so mad sometimes. So, um, Let's get more light, lighthearted here. Just some random stuff about you. How about what is your favorite thing to sew? Oh, man, I don't have a favorite. I have a lot of things that I really love to make, though. Yeah. Um, I love sewing button up shirts. Mm -hmm. I was corrected by someone. I don't sew button downs. I sew button ups. Button down, I guess, means that the collar is buttoned down. Oh, I did not know. Yeah, that. it's like a super fancy one. Mm -hmm. So that's why I pause. Button up shirts. I really like anything with a the collar stand and the collar and the placket. And that's always really fun. Um, I love sewing jeans or jean shorts. I love making coats. Um, especially if I get to do tailoring and I really, really love making bras. That's yeah, you cute stuff. I am. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. You should try it. <laughs> you gotta get 
Bernina feet. I mean, you don't have to have the fancy feet. I've made bras without the feet, but it does make it easier when you're doing quarter inch seam allowances and you got that quarter inch foot. Oh yeah. To to keep you check. Bras are so much fun. And the thing that I like the most about bras is, you know, they wear out over time and you have to replace them. So it's one of those things that you can totally justify making like a million of them because you're yeah. always going to need new bras. Yes. But good. That's yeah. Good justification of buying cute little stuff too. Like cute. Yeah. Elastics and findings and laces and stuff like that. I've already started buying the stuff that no problem yeah. with the buying. I'm good at that. <laughs> That's I'm what this whole wall is behind me. It's just bra making supplies and boxes. Nice. That looks it's so good. much of it. I will say I do not like sewing underwear. Panties oh. are on my no no sew list. I think I'm gonna have to start though, because this is gonna be some TMI right here. I cannot find underwear that fits me. It always gives me a wedgie. Yeah. I cannot figure I've tried so many different brands. I've gone in and out of sizes, up and down, like I like, are they too small? Are they too big? I don't know. It's like perma wedgie in my life. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I hate sewing underwear. I feel like it's a waste of time, mm-hmm. but I think I'm going to have to start because it's not comfortable. Whatever I'm buying is not, not working with my body. Huh. So um, it's probably going to have to change soon. It seems like you're completely fearless. Like you'll just tackle anything. So is there uh, any, all the things that you just said that you, um, love to sew are all on the kind of um the scary list like the I'm gonna tackle that when I get better at it I'll tackle button up shirts or I'll tackle jeans or I'll tackle bra making like I haven't done that yet um but you and coat making is another one but um is there anything that like you're like I'm not ready for that I'm not up for that yet no, I can't think of anything because that was something that when I was planning the gathering of stitches retreat with Samantha, who owns the gathering of stitches, she asked me, you know, how comfortable are you with sewing anything that somebody brings up? I don't know how I feel about offering a retreat where people can just bring whatever project they want to work on. Like what if someone shows up and it's something that you don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about it for a couple of days and I realized there's not really anything that I haven't tried yet. Mm-hmm. And there are things that I won't sew because I don't like sewing them mm-hmm. like underwear. I just feel like it's a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Don't like sewing it. Don't enjoy the process. Um, I sew because it's fun. So I'm not going to make something that I'm not entertained to make. I'd rather just go buy it. But I can't really think of anything that, you know, strikes fear into my heart. Like, I've tried all fabrics. Mm-hmm. I don't like sewing with polyester. I don't like, like, polyester chiffon, silky polyester, any of that. It's because it doesn't press, and it's it, I feel like it's harder to manage than just sewing with silk. I'd rather just spend a little more and have silk. And I understand that, like, some people just do not have a silk budget, and I get that. I've been there before, but I do have a silk budget, and I'm going to stick with silk. <laughs> where it is 97 degrees right now in June so polyester just does not fly down here for the majority of the year it's it's too hot um yeah I don't think that there's really anything that I feel afraid to sew it's just more of like I dabbled in enough where I know what I don't like to do mm-hmm. and that's about it and then as far as like you know the scary list of things like jeans and button-up shirts and bras and stuff I always encourage my students or anyone I talk to who's like, oh, I'm not ready to do that. It's like, what? when do you think you'll be ready for it? Really, all you need to be able to do is sew a straight and a curved line mm-hmm. and know when to apply, 
apply certain techniques. If you get a good enough pattern, it'll tell you when to use certain techniques. You know, like the orange lingerie bra patterns walk you through every single step of making a bra. Mm-hmm. It's actually not as overwhelming as it seems. Mm-hmm. And the pictures, the instructions on those are so good. The Watson bra also has really great instructions. Um, that was something I thought it was going to be so hard when I started doing it. And it wasn't. It was, I was kind of mad at myself when I finished. It was like, why have I been putting this off for so long? It's just stupid easy. It's just. Is that a lecture for me, Lauren? What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just Fuck up, Helena. You can do it. <laughs> you just have to decide that you're going to do it. And, you know, maybe you have to take your time. Maybe it's going to take you two months to finish the first one. But the worst that's going to happen is you're going to end up sewing something that looks really stupid or doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. But that's where you learn the most is where you've made a massive error. Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out, you know, why it didn't work. And you're going to gain so much knowledge from that experience. And this is the sewing teacher and me talking. I like, know. I was just going to say, and here's a little taste of Lauren as the sewing teacher. And that's another thing that kind of makes me like coil back when people are like, is this a good beginner or something? Or what's a good pattern for a beginner or whatever? And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't try to restrict a beginner. I say pick something that you know you want and make it mm-hmm. because, you know, a beginner people like to start with sewing wrap skirts. If you're not going to wear the wrap skirt, a lot of people don't like wearing wrap skirts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people don't like those. If you don't want to wear it, why are you going to sew it? You're never going to want to finish it. Yeah. And then you're going to have made this thing that's like, eh, I never wear it. Um, my first knitting big knitting project was a really intricate lace sweater. I was a month or two into knitting. It took me (laughs) three months to finish it. It was the um, Agatha sweater from Andy Satterland for Mm -hmm. anyone who's familiar with knitting patterns. Um, And yeah, it was pretty ambitious, but I, I knew that I wanted to wear it. I was really, really excited about the pattern. I was super excited about the yarn. I bought nice yarn, not not the most expensive yarn. It was Cascade 220, but I didn't go to, you know, Michael's and get, like, the cheapest thing I could find. I bought, I saved my money. I got nice yarn. I got the pattern, and I slogged my way through it three months later. I had a sweater that I was so excited to wear, and that's what got me to finish it and to rip out my mistakes and to, like, pay attention to the gauge and the sizing and all that stuff was, like, I knew that I wanted the sweater and I was excited about it even before I'd started it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also really important when you make anything is you should be excited about what you're making instead of just saying, well, I'm going to make the first one. And, you know, if I don't mess that one up, then I'll get the nice fabric and do it. Your first one should be a muslin, but you shouldn't be making, you know, spend two months making a coat out of a coating fabric that you just think is hideous or that you're not really that excited about the pattern. I just, I, th- I feel like it's a waste of time. I don't feel like it's worth the time. You should be making things that make you excited and make you happy and like you're thrilled to be able to wear it when it's finished. So I just had another sewing teacher and she said almost the exact same thing. She, uh, she wants people to pick their pat, their, um, beginning projects based on what they want to sew and and that's going to make them excited about sewing and they're going to be more patient with the process and they're going to be more forgiving of their mistakes and they're going to be more excited to all those little fiddly details that um that are so frustrating when you're new I remember Mm -hmm. like 10 years of my mom would um my mom is a seamstress so she would point these things out and I'd be like I don't care I just want to wear it mom just let me wear it but she was pointing these things out and I would have to rip them out and um you would be more excited because you want to wear it this is your exciting project so I agree and it's 
getting the same information from the same teacher, some good teachers that I know. So I know that it's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm speaking from personal experience too. You know, you, like I wanted to make a coat and I went and I bought really cheap polyester lining and like really cheap coating fabric and used this horrible pattern and just try to throw it together to see if I could do it. But it's like, once you start making mistakes, because you're not being careful in the first place, because the, the materials were cheap, you know, you didn't invest a lot into it. And then you don't pick out your mistakes and you go, Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a practice. And I see a lot of girls that were uh, a lot of girls that I knit with my knitting group did the same things with their first sweaters, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And it's like, by the time it's over, you it's, it's like the worst thing ever because you, you weren't ripping out your mistakes and you weren't being careful and you were working with terrible materials to begin with. And you didn't really care about the finished project. And it's like, dude, if I spent $50 a yard on like wool coating, you better believe that if something messes up, I'm going to sit there and rip it out until it's right. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's frustrating, but maybe not because the end result is something amazing. And yeah. then another, this also brings to mind too, when you have to like rip things out over and over again, but you're using a really lovely fabric that, you're excited about somebody said this once in a blog comment to me and I thought it was the cleverest thing. I was complaining about that sweater. the first time sweater. I think I ripped out the top six times before I got on a good roll and was able to like actually finish the sweater. And she said, that's so lovely. You got to spend that much more time with your yarn. Oh, cool. I was like, I like that. Yeah. So whenever I'm sitting there ripping a project out over and over, I'm like, well, this is just more time I get to spend touching it. (laughs) That's very zen. That's good. Yeah. Well, this was really fun. Uh, We are out of time because I was late starting this. I'm sorry. But this was a great conversation. It went in some cool directions. And it's so fun to talk to you. It's, It's always fun to talk to people that it feels like you know anyway. And I hope that's how the listeners feel. Like they know you already, right? They read your blog. And so now they get to hear you in your, your cute little accent. And, and so you hear an accent just, yeah, just a tiny bit. It's not, it's not distracting. It's, it's yeah, it's endearing. There's been a, there's always a divide. Some people don't hear it at all. And some people say it's really strong. So I'm always curious. Oh, it just seems like people hear just a bit. Okay, everyone, let's hear some comments on that on the, <laughs> the podcast. Do I have an accent? <laughs> Just a tiny bit. But uh, yeah, it was really fun. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. This has been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. For more information and more episodes, visit clothesmakingmavens.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll find options for sending us an email, leaving a comment, or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com. Hope to hear from you soon, and thanks for listening. Mm